we're back. The special stage rally podcast by Rally Sport Magazine is continuing to come to you as often as we can, and we thank our subscribers for helping allow this to happen. And it's good to be able to talk rallying as always. Rally Sweden is upcoming on the World Rally Championship calendar, and with me to talk about it is Peter Witten, a man who has got a good memory of Australians and New Zealanders who would have competed at Rally Sweden over the years. So, Peter, welcome. G'day, Luke. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. And as I say, that's what we're going to talk about here for most of the episode. There's been a few people who've competed at Sweden across the number of years that we've seen it in the World Rally Championship. And it's a bit of a precursor to this year because, of course, Taylor Gill and Peter Rullo are two Australians who'll be driving on the snow at Rally Sweden for the first time. So it's an exciting event to follow this year. And it's going to be good to look back on some some times of other other Australians and Kiwis, like we said in in the in the rally as well. That's right, and I think Rally Sweden is an event probably in the WRC, which is a bit like Rally Finland, where it's a real bucket list event for people, particularly from Australia and New Zealand, who would love to go over there and see it. And certainly, I did that in in 2020, just before the COVID pandemic hit, and. Um, I must say it wasn't everything that I dreamed of, um, simply because there was no snow on the events. So it was more like a gravel event, but yeah, a great experience. And um, because the event has since moved further north uh, than the Kalistad region where it was previously held, uh, they're pretty much guaranteed snow and ice for for the rally from here on. So certainly Taylor Gill and Peter Rulo will be uh, champing at the bit and looking forward to it. Their co-drivers, Dan Brick and Ben Searcy, also will be heading over there to Sweden. Funnily enough, Ben Tiersi hasn't even seen snow in his life before. That was part of the press release that we received from the the Rulo Motorsport team this morning. So it's amazing to think that not only you're going over to Rally Sweden, which is clearly going to be a bucket list event for so many people, but you haven't even seen snow before. And then you've got to go and compete at a World Rally Championship event. It's hard to fathom and it just proves how unique this event is. Absolutely. And and Peter and Ben, obviously, both being from Western Australia, it's maybe not surprising that Ben hasn't seen snow before, but uh, it's not as though he's going to Mount Hotham or, or Kosciuszko or somewhere like that to see snow for the first time. He's going to, to rally Sweden. Maybe for his sake, it's probably just as well he's not got the steering wheel in front of him. You'll only have to read the pace notes. Yes, that's absolutely correct. And one person who had trouble early doors in their rally Sweden campaign was Ed Odinsky, who went across their after his Australian Rally Championship win in 1990. Now, he was in a Gallant VR4 with with Harry Manson. Ed had won the Australian Championship, like we'd mentioned, and it was part of a what was planned to be a, a longer PWRC program, I think, Peter, off the top of my head, that really didn't eventuate. But things happened during the recce and, and whatnot from, from what I've learnt that, that weren't ideal for his preparation. No, you're right, Luke. And and that that season with with Ed and Harry Manson, uh, I think it only ended up being the two events. They did Rally Sweden early in the year, then they did Rally F- Finland, which, as I said before, probably the two bucket list events. And and Harry was quite a high ranking um, official with P and O Cruises at the time, and they had some P and O Cruises funding um, sponsorship for their for their program. Maybe that's why they didn't do more events. Maybe the funding wasn't as much as they thought, but. Certainly, they did the two events, and um, yeah, as you said, they had a an off in recce. I think that the temperatures that during that recce in that time were like minus thirty degrees or something stupid like that. And and driving um, a very very standard Toyota Corolla station wagon, they put it off in the snow on recce. And uh, we've 
we've had some photos which we published years ago, which shows the two of them digging the car out of the snow. Yeah, it's not what you're going to get at the Rally of Canberra or Rally Australia, like Ed was more accustomed to. But the the notes on the back of the photo said something along the lines of, "Note that Ed is the man taking the photo, not digging out the snow from underneath the car." So <laughs> that might have helped highlight the relationship between the two as as to who wanted to get their hands dirty in the snow. Absolutely. And uh, I remember Ed saying to me after he came back from, from Sweden back in 1991 that it was uh, it was an, an incredible experience like everybody else from this part of the world who goes over there. He'd never driven on snow and ice in a rally situation before. And he, he did say that driving on the studded tyres was even sorry, even had more grip than when you drive on gravel. He said the the studded tyres just bite into that ice and snow so well that you could really drive the car as hard as you wanted to, brake late and do all those things that you would expect. And he said it was a a wonderful experience. Seventh in Group N was his result and he was 21 minutes off the lead and it wasn't really a a rally winning performance or anything like that um, for Ed. Clearly he was over there looking for experience and wanting to enjoy that that time in the snow and over 500 competitive kilometres were done in that event. So it wasn't as though he's just competed a couple of hundred competitive kilometres. It was a, a long marathon event, which a lot of the, the World Rally Championship events were like in those days. Correct. Yeah, even Rally Australia in the first year in 1989, which was only a couple of years before that, was was over 500 kilometres in competitive distance and 34 or 35 special stages. So they were long marathon events over four days and um, quite possibly, and my memory sort of gets away from me here, but I, I don't think Ed would have had the the experience and the testing and stuff that um, that he perhaps would have liked to moving into that event. He ran a Group N Mitsubishi Galant VR4, which was run by the Coward Sport team from in Europe. Um, so it wasn't his own car. There was quite a bit to get to get used to. And even later in the season when he went to Rally Finland, I think he only finished 26th um, overall and, and probably a similar result in, in Group N. So he never set the world on fire, but um, that was never the plan when he went over there. It was just to get experience and and tick off that bucket list event, I guess. That was a bit of a different situation to when Possum Bourne went over there in 2003. When Possum did it, he was starting a brand new PWRC program that was really going to target the win in that championship. And unfortunately, that didn't happen for Possum. But in that Rally Sweden debut, it was a, a slowly, slowly approach for him that helped him work his way up into the fourth in the PWRC standings and ninth in Group N. So maybe it was his extra years of experience perhaps that maybe helped him learn about the rally and learn about the conditions more quickly to be able to to achieve a result rather than make mistakes early on and stuff like that. You're probably right. And in 2003 when Possum went over there, I mean, it was the first event in his production World Rally Championship program um, it was probably an event that he thought that he could do okay at in terms of getting a good point score uh, and then come back down to New Zealand and do his home event and then move onwards from there to try and win the championship. As you mentioned, that didn't happen. Possum was tragically killed uh, not long after Rally New Zealand. Um, so we'll never know how we would have got on. But I think ninth in Group N and fourth in the PWRC category. So not everybody in Group M was registered for the championship. So it was a good start for Possum and, and certainly set him up well for what hoped to be a, a championship winning year. 
Mm. He was only a couple of minutes off the production world championship win and behind guys like Stig Blomqvist, Karamjit Singh, who's well known in these parts of the world, and also Martin Rowe. So they're big names to be talking about and and mixing amongst when it's your first time on snow. And and funnily enough, the car that the Possum drove in Rally of Sweden that year made its way back to Australia. Clearly, it was a Possum-born motorsport car that he was driving in that production world championship program. So it was on sale in Australian Rally Sport News, our former newspaper from a long time ago. It was 120000 New Zealand dollars was for sale for and was eventually bought by Brad Goldsborough. So it stayed local and and it is still local, owned by Brad, and we're chasing down a feature on that car as we speak. So there's lots more to learn about that car and its history because it was one of Possum's last ever rally cars. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Brad went on to use that car to win the the production cup in the Australian Championship or the Privateers Cup, as it probably was called back in the day, back in early 2000s. So uh, it's it's wonderful to hear that the car is still around and that um, we might get to learn some more about it soon. Chris Atkinson's first event in the Subaru World Rally Car was in the snow at Rally Sweden, and it was a baptism of fire for Chris, not only from a a world rally car perspective, but also just getting to know the snow and like it's going to be for Taylor Gill at Rally Sweden in, in about a fortnight's time and also Peter Rullo as well. You've got to learn the surface and learn everything about rallying on snow before you're able to to really push too hard and, and make the gains that you, that you can. Chris didn't really set the world on fire in that opening event and, and finished well off the pace and I think he he got stuck in a snowbank and stuff like that in that first event. But over a few years, he was able to build up his experience, but it wasn't really a surface that Chris got to grips with too well. And that was, I guess, proven in the results because he never got never got a top five on snow con- considering he was there for three or four years straight in the Subaru team. Yeah, and I think if it proves one thing, it's just how difficult it is to go from this part of the world into a totally foreign surface like like snow and ice and be competitive right from the outset. As you said, Chris did Rally Sweden three years, never really set the world on fire, maybe had a stage win or two there. Um, and it just goes to prove that uh, Taylor and Dan and, and Peter Rullo and Ben Searcy are going to find it really tough when they do the event in a couple of weeks' time. And I think for both of them, it'll be more about getting to the finish and um, making small increments of improvement as they go along. Yeah, I think that'll be a good plan for both of those crews. And in contrast to Chris Atkinson, Hayden Padden was a guy who almost instantly got on on the pace on snow. He didn't have that much experience, of course, because there's, there's not a snow rally in New Zealand. So to be able to get there and finish fifth on his first top try in a world rally car, finish second the year after, maybe that's simply got something to do with Hayden's New Zealand background and the way he's able to adapt to fast roads and his enjoyment of driving on the fast roads too. Potentially that's right, Luke. Yeah. It's um there's so many different variables come into play when you when you're tackling a new rally and and it could be the opposition, it could be the the car that you're driving, it could be the amount of testing that you have before the rally. So that all comes into play. But certainly Hayden did um did exceptionally well and finished second overall in, in 2016. And that's right. And he hit a post on the way down the last power stage run. I remember watching it on the the WRC coverage, and it caused a bit of a scare for he and he and John Kennard before the event was finished. They'd more than easily completed the rally in second position, but it was that hit with the post that was captured on live TV that meant radiator damage and uh, 
a limp back to the service park that they could have done without. Yeah, I rem- remember watching that live, as you say, and they they coming down that that ski run, which was made into a rally stage, right on the, right at the end of the the rally, and and hitting that post, and yeah, there was lots of uh, conjecture over the commentary as to whether he would make it back to to the finish at all. But f- fortunately for him, he did, and um, yeah, secured that second place. All's well that ends well. David Holder was another Kiwi who went over to Rally New Zealand in 2018. Like Taylor Gill, he did it as part of the Junior World Rally Championship. He finished ninth in class and and had a strong event and was able to learn more and more as he as he I guess turned his New Zealand Rally Championship win into a Junior World Championship campaign and got to experience all of what the WRC has to offer in a whirlwind season that I'm sure he he would look back on with fond fond memories. Yeah, it's hard to believe that it's six years ago now yeah, since David Holder did the, the Junior World Championship and, and ninth in class on his first event and in Sweden was a, a brilliant effort. And I reckon that if if Taylor and Dan can can finish eighth or ninth in class on their first JWRC round this year, that'll be a tremendous effort too. There's a record number of competitors in the championship this year, I think 19 cars and drivers from, from all over the world. So if they do get to, to finish inside the top 10 that will be a, a brilliant start to their year and taylor and dan have been lucky enough to have a good testing program before their their rally sweden debut they've had some some time in a rally three car near their hometown or their, their finnish hometown of vaxi so coupling that with some fia rally star tests that they've they've done over the weekend and in in the coming days it's it's going to be a like we've said before, it's always a baptism of fire on snow because you don't know the conditions and you've got to learn as you go and and take it bit by bit as you as you learn things and and try and get speed out of a, a condition and a and a setup that's probably really foreign to a guy who's who's used to gravel only. Absolutely, yeah. And and I spoke to Taylor briefly the other night and he's done quite a bit of driving on snow in the last couple of weeks since he's gone back to Europe. He's driven a Fiesta Rally 3 car on snow. He, he's been to the John Hoagland Driving School with the other um, the, the FIA Rally Star competitors, uh, John Hoagland being a former factory Skoda driver back in the probably the 1980s, I guess. Um, so he's a very experienced guy and Taylor was quite impressed with the training that they got and and quite confident, I guess, in slowly learning the the driving style and the requirements for snow and ice. He said that uh, once you learn that the snowbanks are there to, to help you, um, that's a great thing. But he said as soon as you touch a snowbank with the back of the car, it does slow down your forward momentum. So while they can stop you going off the road, you need to keep off them as much as possible. And not only can they keep you on the road, but they can also stop your rally. Um, it's also picking... What snowbanks are the right ones to hit? Because if you hit one that's a completely solid snowbank, it ends your rally. It doesn't just keep you on the road. It it knocks you all over the place and it doesn't lightly push you back onto the road. It, it yeah, ends the rally, takes a wheel off, causes a puncture, does everything like that. And that really is where luck comes into play. And I remember last year watching Rally of Sweden on the live coverage and there were some some roads where the snowbanks were literally higher than the cars, which is what's five or six feet high, but there's other spots where if you go off, you'll be into a ditch or into a drain or something like that where the snow isn't as thick. So where you do go off um, could have a bearing on whether you finish the rally or not. And it's probably less margin for error, would you say, Peter, on the snow rallies to be able to to drive it, drive it straight and drive it in the wheel tracks more or less? 
Well, I mean, I'm only guessing, Luke, given that I haven't, <laughs> haven't driven a rally in those conditions. But I think um, the lack of contrast when you're driving a rally car on snow and ice is a real thing because everything is white. Um, it's, I'm sure it's very, very difficult to pick out the the changes in surface or the the road surface going up or down or whatever it might be. So you obviously see the the drivers wearing those tinted glasses to try and give them some more definition in the stages when they're when they're driving. So and I know Taylor has been trialing that sort of thing as well. So I'm sure it is extremely difficult. And um, yeah, I would think it would be more difficult than gravel. Certainly, um, whether you're starting on gravel or starting on snow, I think gravel would be an easier option. Elsewhere in the rally world, Peter, you've done some research and some some article writing on a couple of cars that are for sale, a couple of famous cars that have history and also a model of car that's quite rare. Yeah, that's right, Luke. Um, there's a couple of Fords for sale. Uh, there's an X-Works Ford Escort RS1800, which is for sale, which was one of the original Colin Bond cars built back in the, the 1970s. Uh, this is, I think, one of the only, only two of the original remaining cars with the original body shell and everything. Um, also was owned by Mike Bell. It was owned by Ian Hill. Um, so it's up for sale now. I think it's, uh, from, from memory, it's $140,000 or something like that it's up for sale for. So not a cheap car, but for somebody who wants uh, a historic original car, it, it would be a fantastic buy. Similar to a Ford Capri Piranha that's currently for sale, it was built for the uh, 2000 and uh, sorry, the 2000 London to Sydney Marathon rerun. Was a sister car to one that Stig Blomquist drove to win the event, uh, and the Capri Piranha being um, a Ford Capri with a V8 Windsor engine in it, so quite different to what was um, came out of the factory from Ford originally, but. The Piranha was a car that was put together by Ford or a Ford enthusiast in South Africa. They eventually got homologation for it and uh, it took off from there. So they're quite a popular car in terms of classic Capris and certainly there's a few of them in Australia doing tarmac and gravel events. Over the past fortnight on our Rally Sport magazine website, cars have been a focus somewhat because I did an article on a Corolla Group N prototype car that's, that's set for a rebuild in Victoria. Jimmy Lianchini is is rebuilding the car and he'd initially planned to do it up and take the the running gear and put it back into a Celica GT4, but maybe sense has, has hit him and he's thought, oh, this is quite a historical car and, and quite a nice car to be able to have and drive. So the story of that car and, and how it's going to be rebuilt and restored back into its its factory colours and factory livery and all that kind of stuff. So that's another feature. The Jeff Portman Commodore that won the Alpine in 2009, that's getting a rebuild. And Peter, as well, the Repco trial Porsche. You've just got off the phone, I believe, with with the man who's rebuilding that one. Yeah, I have, Luke. And uh, it's it's the car that Jürgen Bath drove in the 1979 Repco reliability trial. Uh, it's an original Porsche. It's the first right-hand drive Porsche 924 that, was, that ever came to Australia, built by Alan Hamilton's Porsche company in Melbourne at the time. Uh, it's been around. It's still in its original livery, I guess you'd say. Still got the stickers on it. The paint's all original, so it's having a complete rebuild at the moment. Um, we've chatted to, as you say, the guy who's doing the rebuild. I'm about to chat to the guy who owns the car at the moment. So we'll have the story on that as well as a, a bunch of photos on the car from its history and also as it appears now. So look out for that. Fantastic. I look forward to reading that one myself. And if you too would like to to read that story please subscribe to rally sport magazine on our website as you probably already know by now 
www.rallysportmag.com. We've got you covered for all the news on the World Championship, the Australian Championship, as the first round comes closer and closer to us. And lots lots of things happening in the rally world. So we're trying to cover it all as we, we get further and further into 2024. And, and one of those things that's going to be really exciting for 2024 is our our rally tour to Rally Finland and also a motoring tour to Germany. Peter, you've done lots and lots of work perfecting the itinerary and making sure that our guests are going to be well looked after in beautiful hotels and beautiful museum experiences and then finishing with Rally Finland, which would be amazing. Yeah, it should be wonderful, Luke, and we're planning this for late July, early August uh, this year. So jump onto our tours page on our website and have a look. But basically we're we're starting in Munich. We're doing a BMW factory tour. We're heading up to Ingolstadt to see the Audi Museum where all the Audi Works Group B cars are. We're heading to Stuttgart to do Porsche and Mercedes. Um, so Formula One and, and racing fans will be keen on that. There's the, the Autotechnic Museums in Sinshine and, and Speyer that we're doing as well. And then from there, we're heading to Frankfurt and then flying across to, to Helsinki for a Rally Finland tour. So People jump on the website under the tours page, as I said. You can either do the Finland tour on its own, you can do the Germany tour on its own, or you can combine the two together. So we've already had some bookings. There's some people who are very keen to come and join us. And, um, yeah, trip of a lifetime. So if you've got the time off and a bit of spare cash, um, come and join us. It'll be one hell of an experience, that's for sure. Peter, thanks for your time. Again, on the Special Stage Rally podcast, it's been good to talk and as always, we're looking forward to the next round of the WRC and, and lots of things will be happening. And, of course, to follow along with the Australians and the people that have taken up a lot of the podcast time here today. So thanks again for your time. No worries at all, Luke. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, have a good week. Thank you.